Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. That's to use my very best English. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about identity. Identity. Amen. One of my favorite television shows, and it's still on the air now after many, many, many years, uh, is CSI, Crime Scene Investigation. Anybody ever heard of that? I mean, of course, they have had so many, you know, CSI Miami and CSI New York and CSI Cyberspace and then other ones, NCIS and, you know, all sorts of shows like that. But I like just the CSI that's been on in Las Vegas, that's been on uh, probably for 15, 18 years now, maybe. Um, One of my favorite things about that show is just the mystery of it and figuring out what's going on and all of the science and forensic, forensic science. My daughter... Uh, my second daughter's graduating from UMass with an undergraduate degree, and she's going on to uh, get her graduate degree. She doesn't know where yet. She may go overseas or Georgetown or someplace like that, but it's some degree I cannot pronounce, but it's got something to do with forensic science is in there and something to do with anthropology and some other stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it's that type of thing is very interesting to me. And when I watch that show CSI, one of the things that you notice is Usually there is a victim, and usually with that victim, uh, the victim is not identified. It's an unidentified victim. So the first thing they do, uh, the police and the, the investigators, when they come on the scene, is they have to figure out who this person is, who this victim is. Because if they don't know who the victim is, they, the victim is, they may not know where to start looking to find out who uh, committed the crime. So it's all about identity, and they take their fingerprints and their wallet, any type of thing they need to do to figure out what the identity of that person is. How many know that we have an identity? Those of us that have given our life to the Lord, have turned it over to Jesus Christ, we have an identity this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, says this. It says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. In other words, at one point you didn't have an identity. You had no identity. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now I am somebody. Some of you need to go home and look in the mirror and say, I am somebody. I am valuable to God. Not because I'm just good looking, which most of you are. I know, Will Eldon got that one, yes. But uh, because God made you valuable. He made you valuable. I was thinking of a story. The story is, when I I was walking through the forest one day, a man said he, he found a young eagle, some of you have heard this before, who had fallen out of his nest, and he took it home and put it in his barnyard, where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens. 
One day a naturalist passed by the farm and asked, why is it that the king of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with chickens? And the farmer replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. And since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. Still, it had the heart of an eagle, replied the naturalist, and can surely be taught to fly. He took the eagle and lifted him toward the sky and said, You belong to the sky and not to the earth. He said, Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was. And seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with them again. Well, the naturalist didn't give up. He took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again, saying, You are an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of his unknown self and his unknown world that he was supposed to be in. So he jumped down once more and went with the chickens and the chicken feed. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him again, saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. Well, the eagle looked around back toward the barnyard and then up to the sky. The naturalist lifted him straight toward the sun And it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly, he stretched out his wings. And with a triumphant cry, he soared away into the heavens on to his destiny. You see, once the eagle found out who he really was, he could then walk or fly in his purpose and his destiny. For many people, life is a lot like that story. They never stretch out their wings and attempt to fly. For many people, their life is a lot like those children's thoughts in the video that we saw this morning. I never want to jump off in the deep end. I just want to stay safe right where I know I'm okay. I'll never take any chances. This morning, we were, uh, me and my wife and kids were on our way to church, and I can't remember what we were talking about, but uh, my youngest daughter, Renee, was uh, saying something about her brother. You know, I'll bet Michael is, you know, still in the room, or he's, he's still doing this or doing that. And uh, finally, he came out, and uh, she said, see, I told you. I, I, I knew it was going to happen. You know, he's always like that. She said, if I was a betting person, I would have bet and won a lot of money. And my wife said, well, that's really not a bet because you already knew that's what he would do. You know, if you're going to bet, if you're going to gamble, it's with the unknown. You may not know uh, fully in your flesh and in your mind, your carnal mind, who you are. But when God tells you who you are, it's time to take a chance and jump off the shore into the deep end to see what God would have for you. You know, I have some conversations with some atheists at, at my place of employment sometimes. And 
Uh, you know, it's interesting. They uh, are af- either afraid or just comfortable where they are, or it's too much like science fiction to, for them to believe that there really is a God. And one of the things, uh, maybe not theologically correct, but one of the things that I sometimes say is, you know, if I win after this thing is all over, I win big. And if I'm not right, I lose nothing. But if you lose, you lose big. I would rather take a chance on something where I know I can win big. I'd rather play the stocks and not the mutual funds. Come on, somebody. Right? I'd rather use the the heavy driver, Jay, and not just the iron. Even if I'm only 132 yards away, I still use the big driver because I like to hit the ball far, but that's just me. Probably shouldn't do that, but... uh, I say go for it. Go for it. But part of that is knowing who you are. If you don't know who you are, you won't know how to go for it. See, God has set in motion a plan for every person, a plan and a purpose. There is a spirit in this generation, folks, that affects every person, every Christian and non-Christian alike, that seeks to undermine destiny and purpose It undermines all that God has planned. And I really believe, I'm not going to talk about it this morning, but we need to have a Jeremiah experience. We need to be what the world might call enlightened. But what God would call, you need to get a revelation of who you are. We need to open up with ears to hear what the Lord would say. We need to open up and say, Lord, I I belong to you. I can't do it. You can Sixth grade teacher was having trouble with a couple kids in her class. These kids were disrupting her class, constantly disrupting her class. And so she didn't know what to do with the kids. One day she went to the principal's office because she'd had enough. So she went to the principal's office to talk about this situation that she was having with these two young people in her class. And so happened that the principal wasn't in the office that day. So she said, wow, what am I going to do? So what she decided to do was she went into their files in the principal's office to look in their files. And her motivation for this was to see maybe if there was some reason at home that might be causing the children to act this way. Maybe they were underprivileged or maybe there was something wrong mentally with them. She didn't know. She was going to look in their file to see what was going on? Well, as she looked through the files, she found that all of the kids had a very high IQ. She saw the number there and she thought, they have such a high IQ, I'll bet they need to be challenged in my class. They're probably bored and so therefore they're acting out. Well, she challenged them. As the year progressed, She found that as she put more demand on them to excel, at some point the kids grasped that harder thing and then their skill levels began to grow so that the principal finally came to her one day and said, what is it that you're doing in your class to cause the skill level of all of these children to skyrocket, to go so high? Well, she said, Well, I have to confess that I came down to the office one day. I was upset and you weren't there. So I looked through 
the files and I saw that the kids had a very high IQ and I realized that they weren't being challenged enough so I decided to challenge them. Well, the principal's reply was, those were not their IQs, those were their student ID numbers. <laughs> but you see, she didn't realize that. And yet she still challenged the kids and their skill level grew. Now, you don't need to be tricked into knowing who you are. I don't need to tell you what your IQ is or what your IQ isn't. I don't need to tell you what you can or can't do. God has already told you that. He's already told you if you would follow my word, if you would listen to what I'm telling you, if you would step down out of the boat on my word when I say, come, you'll walk on water. If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll lay hands on people, cast out demons, you'll raise the dead. You'll excel in school. You'll find the cure for cancer. How many know God already has that? It's only a mystery to us. God already has it. But it's a matter of tapping in and listening to what he would have to say. Very often we look for certain things in this world to affirm us. To validate us. We look for things to validate us like our job. Things like our gifts and talents. How many know that we look sometimes to our gifts and talents to validate who we are? We may look to our spouse or someone who's close to us to validate us. Some look to their family name. Maybe your last name is Gates or Rockefeller. And they look to that for their validation. Some look to their bank account for validation. What about your education? How many letters do you have after your name? How many degrees do you have? How well did you do in school? We look to that for validation. Some look to their good works. They try to work their way into heaven. Or they try to work their way into God's good graces. Their works validate them. Some, their clothes validate them. How they dress. Some, they are validated by what others say about them. We look to all kinds of things for our validation. Who am I? And it causes us to do some crazy things sometimes. Isaiah 42, 6, God says this, and I want you to take this to heart. You might jot down this scripture reference. Isaiah 42, 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. I want to tell you this morning that God has already validated you. I don't care what your mother and father have told you. Your God has validated you. I don't care what your teacher told you. I don't care what your boss told you or your family member. God has already validated you. He has laid his hands on you the moment you said, Lord, here is my life. He breathed the breath of life into you. He gave you his DNA and he affirmed you and he validated you. He stamped you with the Holy Spirit and now you belong to him. Now think about that for a moment. You have the same DNA as the master, the father of the universe. That DNA is a thread throughout you because you're a new creature. 
I was reading the news some time ago, and there was a story of a man who was brutally attacked in Georgia. And he was found behind a dumpster. This was some years ago in a Burger King. And this man, uh, when they called the paramedics and the emergency squad and all that, they came and got him. And when he came around, he forgot who he was. He was naked and afraid. And uh, when he got to the hospital, he didn't know who he was. He had amnesia. Well, the thing about it was this man was 50 years old. They were able to surmise that. But he forgot 50 years of his life. He didn't know who he was. And they put his name on the television. Uh, I think he was even on Dr. Phil at some point. They had, uh, you know, all sorts of people. The FBI got involved and was helping him out to try. No one claimed this man to this day. And so now how many know that without an identity, he can't get a job. He can't get a social security number. He can't get any help. He can't buy a house. He can't rent a car. He can't rent an apartment. He can't do anything without an identity. I want to tell you this morning, without your proper identity, there is just nothing you can do. You will bang your head on the wall the rest of your life. You'll go two steps forward and two steps backward. Why? Because you don't know who you really are. I remember Brother Clarence Hauser telling a story one time about a man who got on a cruise ship. You've heard this story. He, got, he bought a ticket because he wanted to do something with his life and uh, he, he hadn't been having much fun and uh, he bought a, bought a ticket to a cruise. He didn't have much money and uh, he said, well, I don't have a lot of money to do anything on the cruise, but at least I'll get a ticket and I'll get to get on the boat, you know, and just kind of get away. And so he bought his ticket, got on the boat and uh, got in his stateroom and for the whole duration of the cruise, he stayed in his room. He didn't go out of his room. He didn't come out to see what was going on. He didn't talk to anyone because he figured, listen, I don't have any money to buy anything to eat or to buy any souvenirs, any of that. So as long as I just get to get away for a little while, I'll be all right. Well, coming off, people were asking him when they got off the cruise, you know, how was your cruise? Did you check out the the show that they had? Uh, That singer was really great. What about the all-you-can-eat buffet or the the pool? All of that was great. And he said, well, I couldn't do any of that because, you know, I didn't really have money to do that. And the person said, you paid for all of that when you bought your ticket. It's all-inclusive. You could have done all, you could have eaten to your heart's delight. You could have swam in the pool. You could have watched all the shows that they had and enjoyed everything because of the ticket that you bought. But instead, you stayed in the stateroom for the duration of the cruise. How many know that there are a lot of you that are staying in your stateroom for the duration of the cruise? You're living your life in the stateroom when everything else not only is available to you, but it's been paid for. It's already bought and paid for. Do you know an abundant life is bought and paid for for you? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, if Satan can get you to forget who you are or to never know who you are, he can conquer you. He can get under your skin. He can guide you around. He can pull you by the ear and you'll go because you don't really know who you are. You just go with the wind. 
I believe it was Abraham Lincoln said, that said that we, you have to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Why not stand for the Lord? The one that breathed and stars came out. The one that spoke and the foundations of the earth were formed. The one that made a sound and the sea had to go back and let dry land come. Why not be in him? Why get validated from the Lord? Because the Lord has your destiny. But instead, we look to other things for validation. Man was writing a letter one time. He had had an accident. And he needed to write a letter to his insurance company about his accident. This is the insurance claim letter that he wrote. Said, Dear Sirs, I was recently moving 500 pounds of bricks from the top of a five-story building. It would take so long to carry them down, so I put them all in a bucket and lowered them by a pulley which I fastened to the top of the building. Now, after tying the rope securely at ground level, I then returned to the top of the building. I tied the other end of the barrel. Then I loaded it with bricks and I swung it out over the side of the building in preparation for the descent of the bricks. Then I returned down to ground level and I went to the sidewalk. I untied the rope. My intent was to now lower those bricks down. Got a visual of what he's trying to do here? All right. And I held the rope securely to guide this barrel down slowly. I discovered something in that moment, though. Since the bucket weighed now 500 pounds and I only weigh 150 pounds, that was before the accident, the force of the descending bricks jerked me up in the air so quickly that I did not have time to even think about letting go. Well, as I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and the lacerations on my upper body. But it doesn't stop there. Still, I held tightly to the rope until I reached the top, where my hand became jammed into the pulley. This accounts for the broken fingers. But it doesn't stop there. At the same time, however, the barrel crashed into the sidewalk, the bottom broke out, and with that out, the weight of the bricks is now gone, the barrel only weighed 40 pounds. Thus, my 150 pounds began to make me descend from the top of the building back down. My descent was slowed only by meeting the barrel on its way up. This accounts for my broken ankles. My descent continued doesn't stop there until I crashed into the pile of bricks. This accounts for my sprained back and my broken collarbone. At the time, 
Oh, it doesn't stop there. <laughs> At the time, I guess I lost my presence of mind completely and I let go of the rope. The empty 40-pound bucket now descended five floors on top of me, which now accounts for my head injury. But I did get the bricks from the roof to the sidewalk. You ever felt like that in your life, that just nothing goes right? This is where we are without an identity. There will be one calamity after another in our life. We'll go forward and we'll come back. We'll go up and then we'll come down. But when you know who you are, you can deal with offenses. You can deal with disappointment. You can deal with all of those things because you're secure in who you are. There is a spiritual war going on over your identity and over my identity. You see, your enemy wants to make you feel like you're on, all alone on an island. All alone and there's no help coming. He wants you to feel like you just can't do it. You may as well give up. Why try? Satan uses different tools like the opinion of others. Or he may use an offense, pain, hurt, resentfulness, bitterness, guilt, anger. You see, if Satan can alter your identity, he can do three things. Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He can steal your hope away. Now why try? There's no hope. Every time I try, something bad happens. Why try? Why hope? He can kill your dreams. How many have had some big dreams at one time? And it seems like there's been some disappointment. And it just kind of makes you feel like, why continue to pursue that dream when I'm so disappointed? It's the enemy. And ultimately, he can destroy your fellowship with God. You'll turn your back on God. You'll be a saved Christian going to heaven and turn your back on God. And then in the end, you may get to heaven, but live a terrible life getting there. And I want to tell you this morning that that is not God's will for you, according to his word, to live a terrible life. It's not his will. Satan's biggest weapon out of all the tools that he has, listen now, is to get you to repeat what he says. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about this. The enemy will plant an idea in your head. He'll plant an idea in your mind about you. Maybe someone will say something about you. Maybe you didn't do well on, on a test or you, you didn't get the job. Someone else got the promotion. And, so, you know, so, and then something will come into your mind. Well, that person's a lot better than you anyway, and you're just not that good. Uh, you, you knew you weren't going to get that promotion. You knew you weren't going to get an A on the test. You knew that wasn't going to happen for you anyway. And he'll put that in your mind. He'll just plant a seed. Then, now listen, here's what happens. You begin to say it over and over. You begin to repeat it. You see another job in the paper or another promotion comes up at work. And in your mind, Satan doesn't even say anything else to you. 
Just you, by, by the virtue of the seed that's in your mind, say, well, I'm not going to apply for that. I'm not going to get it anyway. Satan doesn't even have to try. You begin to say it over and over and over again. At first, you begin to say it when the circumstances dictate it. Then all of a sudden, it becomes who you are. You say it over and over. Before you know it, you'll say it automatically. And the problem with that is, after you begin to repeat it over and over again, it becomes your identity, folks. You've made it your identity, not your enemy. All he did was plant a seed. The enemy can't make you do anything. He's not creative. He can't speak anything into existence. In fact, you have that over him. You realize that? You have more creative juice in you than the enemy ever had. He can't speak anything into existence. He's not filled with the Holy Spirit. You are. You're filled with the creator of the universe. And Satan puts that seed in your mind. And you do all the work. You begin to repeat it and speak negatively about yourself. You repeat what your parents said about you. You repeat what your boss said about you. You repeat what someone said about you in sixth grade. You repeat it because it's in your mind. He'll begin to put things in your mind like, well, you're just an average person. You're average anyway. You're, okay. you're not terrible, but you're not all that great. And you'll settle. He'll put things in your mind like, someone else is great, but I'm just okay. Or maybe if I were born differently, I could have, if I was born a different color or a different gender or with a different last name or in a different part of the world, I could have. He'll put that in your mind. He'll put things in your mind like you're insignificant. You don't matter. He'll put things in your mind like you'll never have their talent or their ability. So why would you even work toward that? He'll put something in there like you have to earn God's acceptance. Some of us know about grace, yet still is, there's something in us that it just doesn't sit right with us. And that's your flesh. And so we're still trying to earn God's acceptance instead of accepting his acceptance. He'll put things in your mind like you don't matter in the big scheme of things. Why should you have a voice? Why should you say anything? Why should you vote? Why should you take the survey? Why, why, you don't matter. Why should you pray for that person? What difference does it make? God is telling you that you are valuable. You are significant and you matter. Don't let these things become part of your identity. Worse, don't let it become your identity. Don't let it become who you are. Well, how then do we know what our identity is? How do we know who we really are. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century philosopher and evangelist, and he said this. He said, not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but listen to this now, very profound to me. We know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death only through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor our God, nor ourselves. 
You can't even know yourself apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So you tell me, where should your identity be? Should your identity be with someone who steals, kills, and destroys? With someone who cheats, lies, cajoles, plans for blood? Should that be your identity? Or should your identity be in someone who creates, who loves, who is filled with patience and long-suffering? Someone who is an overcomer. Someone who faced the worst possible death and overcame it. Someone who forgives and has unlimited grace. Someone who has unlimited favor. Where should your identity be? Let's look again at 1 Peter 2.9. Let's look at a few ways that Peter says we have an identity. We identify with Christ. The scripture once again says you are a chosen people. Look at it again. It says you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There are five things in there. You are chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You belong to God and you now have received mercy. Now, I wish I had time today to go through all five of those points, but I just want to focus for just a couple more minutes on that very first one. And I want to leave you with this. That first one, you are chosen. You are chosen. He says, but you are a chosen people. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means I am completely accepted. You are completely accepted. Maybe you dress a little differently. Maybe you fall short sometimes. But guess what? You are completely accepted. God has accepted you. And this is essential to know for you and for me. To know that we are accepted. Most of us at one time or another have been rejected. Come on. We've been rejected. We've been rejected maybe by a spouse. Maybe by a parent. We've been rejected maybe by a potential employer when we were going for a job. We've been rejected by a teacher sometimes. Unfortunately, there have been many that have even been rejected by a church member. If you've been in church any amount of time, you may have been rejected by a churchgoer at one time or another. Now that rejection can cause a deep wound in our life. It can cause a bitter root. And as a result, it can cause us to fail in fulfilling our purpose. And it will cause us to potentially reject others. We begin to build a wall. We begin to reject others. We begin to have a, we stretch out our arm. And we don't let anyone close. Our desire to be accepted, folks, affects us in so many ways. It can influence you by influencing the clothes that you wear because you want to be accepted. So you feel like you have to dress a certain way. It can influence the car that you buy. It can influence the house or the neighborhood that you live in. You realize this? 
It can even influence the career path that you take. There's a lot of pressure on high schoolers to go a certain career path because you want to be successful and everybody else is doing that. And it may not be their purpose, but because they want to be successful according to the eyes of the world, they'll go a certain direction. And then they wake up one day at 42 years old and discover, this is not my purpose. It never was. I've been miserable. Always time to start over, but why not start fresh from the beginning? It can affect so many things in your life, even the friends that you hang out with. It will influence the friends, your desire to be accepted. But to know that you are accepted and to know who you are changes everything, folks. It changes everything. Here's why we can rest in the fact that we are accepted. Let me put it another way. Here's why you can rest in the fact that you are accepted. Two things. The first thing to know is because God chose me before everything. He chose you before everything. Ephesians 1.4 says this, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now I want you to just marinate on that for a moment. Before God chose to create the oceans, before he made the universe, before he did any of that, he chose and accepted you. You were accepted before you did anything, before you had an opportunity to pray, before you had an opportunity to read the Word of God, before you had an opportunity to do anything nice for anyone else. God already chose you and accepted you. I don't know about you, but that's pretty profound to me. I know you may have heard it before, but I'm telling you, that cuts to the heart to know that God has accepted you. He already, before He created you, He accepted you. That's something to me. Before all of that, God made a conscious decision to love you. Not only, folks, to love you, but to frantically, intensely, extremely love you. With all the love that he has, he loves you. And you are accepted. So don't tell me you can't do it, whatever it is. When you've got the creator of the universe who says, I've got your back. And Isaiah, he said, I'm holding your hand. I'll lead you along. I'll create a path. I'll, I'll make, I'll make uh, rivers in a dry place. I'll resurrect things in your life that you thought were dead. I got some dry bones that I'll throw in there. Prophesy to you that those bones will raise up. Don't tell me you can't do it. When the creator of the universe is in you and loves you and his grace is on you, you can do it. And the second thing is that Jesus made me acceptable. Titus 3, 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, he made us acceptable by his grace. And he gave us hope of eternal life. This acceptance is something that God simply gave to us. 
So if you want to chase after acceptance from God like you chase after acceptance from everyone else, you'll never get it. You simply have to receive it. You can't prove yourself. You can't do something to get the acceptance. You're never going to get there. Why? Because it's a gift. And with a gift, you cannot work for it. God already gave it to you. It's already available to you. This grace can only be received as a gift. So stop trying to perform. Stop trying to perform your way into acceptance with God. Because it's not, folks, based on performance. We need to know this in our heart, that we are accepted. Can we today just settle it in our heart that we are accepted? Can you settle it in your heart this morning that you are good enough? Because of God, not because of you. Humbly accept the fact that God gave you every spiritual gift and he set you with Christ in heavenly places. But it is us who brings ourselves down because we don't want to crucify our flesh. Let me just leave you with an excerpt of a song, some lyrics of a song that we sing here. In fact, why don't you come just sing this, this part of this song. It's, 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 it's beautiful, these words that were written. It says, I am forgiven. I am your friend. I am accepted. I know who I am. I am secure. I'm confident that I am loved. I know who I am. I am alive. I am set free. I belong to you, Lord, and you belong to me. Stand to your feet this morning.